0: Well, good morning, everyone, I'm glad each one of you are here, and um, we are in 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3, and a couple things to announce, Um, Wednesday, of course, is our Bible study, and we're uh, going through the uh, person and divinity of Jesus Christ, and I'd really encourage you to make it if you can, Uh, we have worksheets uh, for you to use, It's a great time to really dig into the Word of God together. And also, this Thursday at 6 p.m. at the movie tavern is going to be um, the Jesus Revolution. And it's actually the story of how uh, the ministry of Calvary Chapel began and with Chuck Smith. And it's an amazing account because a lot of people think that Chuck Smith was part of a Calvary Chapel. Well, he was, but it was just a church. That was the name of the church. On the edge of town. You know that song? <coughs> excuse me, that we sing. And uh, he was actually a four square gospel pastor. And he was sent, <coughs> excuse me, I, I thought I'd have water, apparently I didn't. I got a cough drop. And he was sent there to uh, preach, and it was a tiny church. <coughs> Thank you, sister. You must be a doctor. <laughs> And and anyway, um, it really was quite a ministry, and it was quite a miracle how the whole church came about. I don't want to dig into it because the movie points it all out. And it became an international movement of Calvary Chapel. They're all over the world, and literally millions of people have come to faith through the ministry of Chuck Smith. So if you're able to make it, um, that's when we're going. You have to call and make reservations um, for tickets. And it's filling up pretty quick. So if you're able to, we'd love to see you there. Um, And I think that's it as far as announcements are concerned. And um, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you in Jesus' name so thankful for all the gifts of love that you've given us through your word and through um, other people and just through even some material possessions that we have, but the greatest gift you've given us is Jesus Christ. That through him we have eternal life, the assurance of heaven. And what a blessing that is. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as we break open these portions of scripture that they would minister to us, encourage us, and give us wisdom of direction of how we should live as believers. And I give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You know, um, there's a lot of times people say, I wish I spent more time in the teachings of the Word of God. And, um, but the re- reality is, is, it's up to us. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about around our family for the past week or so is how easily involved we are in media ministries, especially the phone. I mean, how do I know? I just read these articles, but they say the average person spends five hours a day on their phone. You know, this and this and this. Now, understand that the phone can be a valuable tool, but the Internet on your phone is not necessarily a valuable tool because it takes us off all over the place. And the point is, we as believers desire to spend more and more time with the Lord. Well, the Lord isn't in the phone. The Lord is in our heart and we express that love relationship by being with him. You cannot have a good relationship with anyone, anyone, whether it's a friend or a spouse, unless you spend time with them. And so if there are things in our life, for instance, in human relationships, if there are things in our life to prevent us from spending quality time with this or that person, you know what we need to do? Remove it. What's more important? And the same thing is, of course, true in our relationship with the Lord. What is there in our life that is constantly piling in on us that we don't have the quality time that we want with the Lord? Because here's the thing. There's no better companion. There's no one who can encourage you more. There's certainly no one who can love you more. And there's no one who can give you hope and encouragement more than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's the reason that we need to make sure that we spend quality time with him, brothers and sisters. And, you know, I was talking with some people yesterday, and it's a challenge that probably most of us would be unwilling to do right now anyway. But what if we decided to just go and get flip phones? <laughs> you know, you can could, you could get your calls, you can get your text messages and like that. I know some people need their phone, okay? Don't, no, don't get me wrong. And what if we decided to uh, unplug our TVs? What if we decided to get rid of all kinds of media devices that completely take our attention and use that time to come into a closer relationship with the Lord? And here's the problem if we really think of the challenge that I just gave, so many of us are thinking, that's not realistic. Why not? That would be so boring. How do you know? (laughs) But the fact of the matter is we serve a loving God who wants to have an intimate relationship with us. Can you imagine if you were married and you spent no time with your spouse? And even when you had opportunity, you had other things you were doing. That's not very positive for a relationship in marriage. But I'm not speaking of marriage, but Christ in his church, Scripture tells us. And so we are the bride of Christ. And he's always available. You know, sometimes in a marriage, one person or the other, other isn't available. He's always available. And so, therefore, it's up to us to get away and to spend time with him, to pray and to read his word and to seek his face. And I know that might sound like I'm being very judgmental and, and uh, you know, putting a heavy burden on people. I don't mean it to be that way because the reality is. It's not a burden, it's actually a joy. Now, you can't approach it in some kind of a legalistic way. Yes, I've got to make sure that I read two, you know, 235 verses a day, and I've got to make sure that I spend four hours and six minutes in prayer. I'm not talking about that. Now, then you're putting a legalistic burden on people. I'm just saying spend more time. You know, make opportunities to be with the Lord. Because here's the reality, okay? Being dead honest no pun intended, we're all going to die or be raptured, or the rapture is going to occur. We might not be raptured if we're not saved. I don't mean you and I, I mean people. But we're all going to die. Everyone is. It's a point uh, unto every man wants to die, and then what? Judgment. Well, that should be very sobering to us. Judgment. But the reality is, how wonderful would it be to go into a trial and know that the judge has already found you not guilty. And by being born again in the spirit, you have been found not guilty. And so when this physical body dies, we have to understand the essence of who we are, which is non-spiritual, I mean non-physical, which is our our soul, our self-identity. That doesn't die. And if that Soul, that self-identity has become alive by the Spirit of God, and our spirit within us is now in relationship with the Lord, now our soul, our self-identity, the very essence of who we are, has the assurance of eternal life, of being with God forever. What a blessing that is. You know, I don't mean to sound like I'm being glib or, or that I'm whatever, but a lot of times I hear people talking about, Oh, we gotta be careful. This is gonna happen. That's gonna happen. We better make sure that we store the store that up, store this up, make sure we get plenty of guns to kill people to try to take our stuff so we can show how good Christians we are. And you know, all this kind of stuff, and they get all into that kind of stuff. And and I know maybe I'm wrong, but I know it sometimes drives people crazy because I don't care. Either God's in charge or he's not. I'm not going to take all of my time preparing for something that may never happen in my lifetime. I want to take time to prepare my heart and life for what I know will happen. I'm going to be with Jesus. Either in death or the rapture, I'm going to be with Jesus. That's what I desire to prayer, uh, prepare for. And you know, as we study the Word of God, and, and we, we go right through the Bible, and I actually had someone uh, talk to me and say, say to me, I wish we spent more time on the words of Jesus, if we got more time into the Gospels and the words of Jesus? Well, according to my understanding of Scripture, all the Bible, all the Word is God-breathed. According to my understanding of Scripture, Jesus is the Word of God to man. And so whether we're studying 1 Kings or we're studying Matthew, or 2 Kings, I'm sorry, or Matthew, it's the Word of God and Jesus is the Word of God. It's his communicating to us of the kind of lives we should live because of the great promises that he's given us. Because the word of God is so powerful. It's so awesome. It's so encouraging. It's so liberating. In 2 Kings, which is where we're picking up, chapter 3, Ahab has died at this point. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. And if you go back and you compare the reign of Jehoshaphat with Ahab, all these numbers line up perfectly. Verse 2, and this is talking about Jehoram. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal uh, that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom when they separated. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Who had made Israel sin. He did not um, depart from them. Now, Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid uh, the the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. Amazing. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So the uh, King Jeroboam um, went out of Samaria at the time, and he mustered all Israel. Then he, he went and he sent for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, your people as, uh, my, my people as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. <clears throat> and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, The Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab because of the lack of water. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire uh, of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shephat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elijah said to the king of Israel, you notice here, Elisha doesn't mince words, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Boy, that's pretty sharp. Verse 15, But now bring me a a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, on Elisha. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches, So thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water so that your cattle and your animals may drink. In other words, he's talking about a miracle here. It's not going to be a rainstorm. It's not, you know, all the things that accompany a storm, wind and so forth, none of that. Just boom, dig those ditches, and and somehow water is going to flow in from Edom. Verse 18. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord, He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Besides taking care of your uh, immediate needs, he's going to take care of your uh, critical needs as well. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every good spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came up uh, by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. All those ditches were filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. So at this point, it, just, it seems like the Moabites are just realizing what's happening because they were coming around the southern border of the Dead Sea. And so they were, it was a surprise. So they just now found out, okay, we're going to go out and meet Israel. Verse 22. Then they arose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, all the ditches that were filled, the water. Uh, And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely uh, struck swords and have um, killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoils. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it, and they stopped up the springs of water, and they cut down the good trees. But they left the stone of Ker-Heresh. Now, what that means, the stone, it means the wall. So that city kind of remained intact. However, uh, with the the slingers, um, they surrounded and they attacked it. You know what slingers are like a slingshot, throw stones. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. He was thinking he was going to go to the king of Edom for help, and the king of Edom was actually with the northern and southern kingdoms to fight against the Moabites. So he, he didn't get it. But they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offer him as a burnt offering upon the wall, those stones we just read about, on on the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him, and they returned to their own land. Now, Jeroboam, the son of Ahab, um, he made an attempt to do what was right, but he didn't go far enough. In other words, he put away the sacred pillars of Baal of his father and also the worship of his mother. He put those away, which involved human sacrifice. And so he thought he was doing well to go back to Jeroboam. But we have to remember, when Jeroboam separated from the southern kingdom, he was so afraid that his people going back to worship in Jerusalem might turn against him or might unite with the southern kingdom that he decided he was going to set up places of worship in the northern kingdom, one in the central part of the kingdom, one in the northern part of the kingdom, and it was going to be Baal worship, like the, you know, the, the calf that they built that they said brought them out of Egypt when they were in the wilderness. Now, his worship did not include human sacrifice. It was um, a form, he thought, of, of actual worship of Yahweh, but of course he was being completely disobedient to the Lord because you can't worship Yahweh in any other way than the way he determines. And you can't put any other name on him than the name that he has determined. So uh, he, he, he didn't do, you see what I'm saying? He wasn't doing what Ahab and Jezebel did. I mean, they were, I mean, they were just gross in their idolatrous, you know, sacrificial worship. But he didn't go far enough he should have gone back to David and to his teachings, not to Jeroboam, beginning of the southern kingdom, because he was still hanging on to a lot of that false worship. And I couldn't help thinking, it's like so many Christians today who want to be part of denominations. They want to be part of a, of a church that says we believe in God. They sing even some of the old hymns and they have a form of godliness, but you know that verse that says denying the power of. But they don't stand 100% on the word of God. You know, there are so many people, and I'm not trying to get into any political thing or anything like that, but there are times that you, <clears throat> you listen to um, some of these famous movie stars and some of these famous people, and they talk about God, and they talk about being born again, they talk about being Christians, and then they turn right around and, and talk about supporting abortion and, and you know all kinds of other things. And you're thinking to yourself, well, wait, there's a disconnect somewhere here. This is the disconnect we're talking about here. You can't just go back to Jeroboam <clears throat> where there's a form of worship of God. You've got to go back to David where there's a pure worship of God. And that's what we need in the churches today. I mean, You have so many churches that are all about everything. But standing squarely in the word of God. I mean, I've shared with you many, many times the reason we go right through the Bible is that's the one time I know I'm teaching the truth. Because if I'm t- you know, teaching my own doctrines and my own dogmas and my own ideas and philosophies and so forth, maybe what I'm teaching would be biblical and would be right, and maybe it might not be. I mean, that's how all these denominational doctrines begin. How is it? that we can be so separated, even in the church. You know, you have Charismatics, you have Pentecostals, you have, you, know, you have Calvinists, you have Arminians, you have all kinds of stuff. And I'm not saying they're not born again. I'm not saying they're not saved. But what causes all those differences is not just sticking to the word of God. They'll take a portion of scripture, and they go off on it. And they make that almost their whole dogma and their whole doctrine. Where the reality is, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning, to the word of God itself. We have to stand on the word and the word of, uh, alone. Because uh, what we find here is that the people of the, 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 uh, the northern kingdom of um, you know, Israel, he thought he was doing a great thing by going back to Jeroboam. But he wasn't going back far enough. Because it's not enough. And we have to make sure that we follow the word of God and that alone. Now, Misha, king of Moab, he thought that this was going to be an opportune time to rebel against Israel because Ahab had died. And uh, he, the, the, well, you you figure 100,000 sheep as a token every year. 100,000 you know, wool of the rams, that's a, a whole lot. And so it was quite a, a, quite a burden that was put on the Moabites. And so when Ahab died, and this is after Jezebel died as well, um, we find that he wanted to rebel by saying, hey, I'm not paying this tribute any longer. And so when he stopped paying tribute, we find that the uh, king of the southern of the northern kingdom he thought well i want to do what i can in order to cause him force him to pay tribute again and so he asked for jehoshaphat you know the king of jerusalem to also go along with him with jehoram and so they went out against the moabites now understand the moabites were bad people the moabites had awful pagan you know practices they sacrificed children I don't even want to get, get into all the detail of how pagan their sacrifices were. So, God did want them to be taken under control. And that's why God said, I'm going to give you the victory, but when you go in, you cut down all, even their good trees, you throw rocks in all the land so they can't till the soil, you fill up, you know, you pollute their wells, you pollute their streams of water. I want the Moabites wiped out. And it speaks to us. You know, when the Lord is giving us victory in a certain area, maybe we need to make sure that it isn't able to flourish back again. You follow what I'm saying? I think all of us in our lives, we have our Moabite areas. We have our areas that we're dealing with. And so it's not enough just to confess the wrong of that particular area and even a desire to change from you know, following in that particular area of sin. We have to do what we can to stop it. We need to throw rocks in the land. We need to cut down the good trees. We need to pollute the the wells and so forth. Because if we make provision, if we keep provision open for sin, we're going to take it. So sometimes you've just got to close it down. You know, I, I know it's crazy, but sometimes I really do think, I wonder what our relationship with the Lord would be like if we spent more time with him and less time on the mechanical things of this world. I mean, you walk outside on any day, winter or summer, you walk outside, you see the sky at night, you see the stars and the moon in the daytime, you see the sun, you see the trees, you see the grass, you hear the sound of birds. All of that is part of God's creation. It's natural. It's beautiful. Then we walk inside and... Follow what I'm saying? How much time do we spend just observing the creation of God as compared to observing the creation of man? Just a, a little encouragement there. And um, So it's interesting, too, because when Jehoshaphat saw the problem, when uh, the, you know he realized that they didn't have enough water and that they were going to die in the wilderness and the Moabites would come and just take all three of those kings out, When Jehoshaphat saw the problem, all he did was saying, oh, we're going to die. All he did was complain. All he did was worry about it. But, I mean, not Jehoshaphat, Jehoram. But then Jehoshaphat said, no, 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 let's not go down that path of self-destruction, that we're going to die, we have no hope. He said, isn't there a prophet? And they mentioned there's Elisha, who washed the hands of Elijah. And Jeroboam, who was a man of God, said, "Let's go to him." And when they went to him, he told them, "God's going to work a miracle in your part. He's going to provide the water, and he's also going to uh, give you the victory over the Moabites. They're not going to uh, take you out." And it's interesting when Elisha was about to prophesy, the first thing he did was ask for musical instruments, and they came and they played. And as they were playing, he prophesied. That's the reason music is so important in church. It's not just something we do. It's preparation. When we get together and all the things of life in the world are out there, when you walk through the door, you don't walk through the door and go, ding, you know, oh, everything's gone. All I'm thinking of is just church and they're all there. But, man, we start singing and worshiping the Lord, Doesn't your heart just get released and freed? What does it do? It prepares us to hear from the Lord. Just like Elisha wanted music, you know, and and to very likely to be singing and prepare his heart to receive from the Lord. So then Elisha said, Go dig those ditches. And of course, they were all filled in with water. And uh, it was, you know, he said, No wind, no rain. It's just going to fill in. It's just, it was a miracle of God. and um, So then the Moabites, when they finally arrived, and of course they didn't know about digging the ditches, they didn't know that God had supernaturally filled them with water, but when they came, they looked out, and they saw all the water in the morning light, and they thought it looked like blood. Now understand, they realized it couldn't be pure blood, because even if you know, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, and, and, and Edom, even if they did fight one another, you don't have enough blood coming out of bodies to make rivers of blood. But if the valley is full of these, you know, these little streams, these little rivers, and the people are fighting, the blood goes into it and mixes with the water, and it makes it look real bloody. Anytime there has been a, well... Anytime there's any kind of shooting or disaster and it's near water, it bloodies up the whole water. So, because a lot of people say, how, how could they think that's pure blood? They didn't think it was pure blood. They thought it was blood, you know, that was in the water. And what it really was, is you know how when the sun comes up, it gives a red reflection off the water? That's what it was. God was using it to deceive them. Because the Moabites said, oh, the three armies have killed each other. Let's go get them. And they go charging down, and of course, um, Jeroboam and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, they're waiting. And they go out against the Moabites, and of course, they destroy him. And the king of Moab said, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to get 700 of my best guys, and I'm going to break through. I'm not going to stay here with my men and die. You know, He really wasn't a very courageous or noble man. I'm going to break through. But of course he couldn't. And so because he couldn't break through, he went back to his pagan practices. He took his firstborn, possibly his only son, who was to reign in his place, and he sacrificed him on the wall as a burnt offering. How pagan can you get? And it so displeased the people, it so displeased, you know, even the Israel and Judah to see that kind of thing happening, that they departed. And so we have to understand that the natural fruit of any false religion is going to end up affecting our children. Just like the king of Moab sacrificed up his own child, any time we allow ourselves to get involved in false religions, our children are going to follow us. And so we have to be very careful in our own relationship with God as well, that we set the example for our children. You might say, well, my children don't follow my example. Yes, they do. They follow your example more than you think. You know, I, I can remember when Pastor Frank Jr. was, uh, was a little boy, and uh, like three years old or so. And In fact, I have a picture of him helping me wash my motorcycle. And he's like three years old, and he got the motorcycle bug back then and never left him. And... Um, but it was it was so cute when he was little not that he's not cute now look at him back there he's cute as can be but if if i was if i was walking like we'd go for a walk down by the river if i put my hands in my pocket he put his hands in his pocket i mean he imitated everything that i did because it's natural but the fact is what if i was doing things that were wrong then those are things he's going to want to imitate as well so we, not only as parents, but we as adults who have young people that see us, we have a responsibility to, to walk righteously and holy before the Lord. Because God desires for his children to worship him in spirit and to worship him in truth and to worship him continually, not being distracted by the things of this world. Because the things of this world come right in and grab a hold of you and shake you and want to take your attention. You know how many of us don't know about, um, you know, that train disaster that took place in Ohio, and you know that big cloud went up with all that um, junk in it and stuff like that. How many of us don't know about what's happening in Ukraine? How many of us don't know about what's happening here and what's happening there? All these crazy things are happening, but the reality is, God is not caught off guard by anything. And the Lord's promises are not affected by anything that this world does. You have to realize that. God has made promises to you and I. And he said, pray that you're counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon the face of the whole earth and stand before the Son of Man. It's obviously talking about the rapture. You really believe in the rapture that strongly? I sure do. Because it's in the Bible. And we have theophanies even in the Old Testament. So we have to understand, we're just seeing what the Bible prophesied in the times in which we're living. And so when we see all these things happening, we can't be like this. Oh, look at that disaster. Oh, look at that disaster. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. We should be looking up. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we have to be stupid. You know, if I know my water's going to be polluted, you know, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to go out and buy a um, you know, a lot of bottled water or, or whatever, you know. But that isn't our focus. Our focus has to be on the Lord, and that everything that's happening in this world is by His design. And we're coming to that place, brothers and sisters. I believe it's so close, closer than we think, that his, that He's coming for His church. And that's the reason I love it when we have communion Sunday because communion is such. A sign and example to us of um, what God has given as a promise to each one of us. Because Jesus said, As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. What do we remember? Well, remember that his body was broken. He took on all of our transgressions, he took on himself all of our sin. And then his blood was shed as a purifying wash of all sin for mankind. So when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup until his coming, we do it, as it says, in remembrance of him. And what a blessing it is, because this world is crazy. We take communion, it's security. It's the promise of God. You know what I'm saying? So if I have my brothers come forward, or, okay, here they come. I thought they were hiding on me.
1: and heaven now proclaim hallelujah for the cross hallelujah for the war he fought. love has won
0: No matter what sin you've committed, they're forgiven. No matter what sin you have committed, they're forgiven in Jesus Christ. You need not carry the burden of that sin any longer. The burden's been lifted, and the burden's been removed by the blood of Christ. So therefore, eat and drink and be so thankful for what your God has done. Lord, thank you for the sacrament that we call Holy Communion, for the peace that it brings to our heart. And I pray that you bless it to our spiritual nourishment. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.